Good morning and welcome to Valley Lights Church. Glad to see that you guys are all here. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'd love to after our service. Um, I want to just throw uh, another comment about the church in the park that we're going to be doing. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to that, partly because it's nostalgic. That's where our church kind of like was born. <laughs> it's outdoors in the middle of COVID. But when we were in the park, anytime we've been outside, it's been an opportunity for us to meet some new people. There's people biking or jogging or walking their dogs, and they kind of wander over. And um, some people have actually stuck and been, joined what we're doing as a result of us being in a very visible place. Chesbro Park is on McBean. And so during the time that we were there, uh, it was a great way for us to um, get some notice of people that maybe aren't really connected to a church right now. And so that's part of the reason we're doing that coffee cart. We're going to just put out signs and let anybody who happens to be in the vicinity come get free lattes and things like that. A chance for us to really meet some of the people in our community. So I'm really excited about that, and I hope you guys join us for that Sunday. I want to give you another update about the, uh, the trailer that we have, that we use. We're a portable church. We set up and tear down every Sunday. It's been damaged, but we have some guys that have been working on it. And so last week we started some repairs. Um, this is... Uh, we park it at um, Heart of the Canyons Church, which is in Newhall, and they let us use their space. But a few guys from church, we got an auto body mechanic, we got an airplane repairman, and an engineer, all, all, all on ladders. And so uh, I'm pretty excited about that. It's, you know, when, when we first did the damage, I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, come to find out, the, the cost of repairing is, is to total the trailer, which it actually still works. We just need to fix it. We need people that know how to cut metal, weld, uh, do riveting, all that stuff. And it turns out that God has provided the right amount of know-how within our very congregation. And so this to me is a big highlight. It's really exciting. It's, it's just an example of the way that um, actually the guy, Sergey, who is the auto body mechanic, he's got a lot of experience in this type of stuff. He's been taking metal to his shop um, and on his lunch breaks, re-welding things back together for us. And um, they're, they're relatively new to our church, but it's, it's, an, it's an example of, you know, we, we, a need came up and God brought people who are eager and willing and skilled to meet the needs. And it's one of the many ways that God continues to provide for our church. So that's really exciting. Another exciting thing is this uh, past weekend we had a men's summit. And so our church gathered with seven other churches and 200 men gathered for the weekend in Angeles Oaks. And this was a time for, you can see the large gathering. This is one of the sessions on the, the top picture. And then right at the bottom is the nine guys from our church that went. And so this is the cost. You got to pay 200 bucks, uh, give up the weekend, take Friday off work. Most of the guys did. And invest. What, what you do at a men's summit is you invest some time in growing spiritually, connecting with God in the mountains, and also connecting with other guys. Because uh, men, I think, really need other men to walk through things in life with. And so I wanted to give you like a little flavor of the Men's Summit, not from one of the worship times or from one of the teaching times, but from one of the game times. So, so just, I wanted you to check this out. You can turn up the volume too. So this is one of the competitions. You had to throw a pen in a bucket. The guys who threw the most pens in the bucket wins. That's it. That's, the, that's it. Guys throwing pens in a bucket. 
it doesn't take much for a guy to have a good time, all right? We're, we are simple creatures. It actually, it doesn't matter what the sport is. It's the fact that there's competition that makes all the difference, and that's what guys really love. So um, that was just one of the activities. But what, the reason you get a flavor is that, that the whole weekend was a, a powerful unifying experience because it's 200 guys unplugged from technology, Focus on God and also having a good time with each other and just growing friendships. And actually, I think our guys that went all grow closer together, but we met a lot of people too. There's other men that are trying to move the kingdom of God forward in their own cities and towns in Southern California. And I think when you build uh, strong bonds of camaraderie with other men, it's a really good thing. And so I just wanted to give you that highlight. It was a fun weekend and uh, excited that we had some guys go to that. Okay, now we can start today's message. And what we're doing is, these past few weeks, we're talking about getting triggered emotionally. We're talking about our emotions. Because God is, has a whole lot to say about those strong feelings and those strong desires that live inside of you, inside of each of us. God created us to have a lot of emotional experience. Emotions add color and delight to life. But sometimes our emotions lead us off track and we get led away from God's original design for life. Many people think whatever you feel, you just need to express it. You just need to let it out. You should, in fact, some people would say you never should suppress your feelings. Um, you, can't, you can't bottle, bottle it up. The truth is, though, you know, it is, it is good to express yourself, but people who let all of their emotions run without any restraint live very difficult lives. You just feel, and you do, and you just feel this, and you do that, and you just are led around by emotions. Life is very hard for that person. We actually need to be not ruled by our emotions, but we need to rule over them. When I first started this church, I, one of the emotions that I felt often was discouragement, and I battled a lot of heavy discouragement. For, actually, for a solid year leading up to the launch of our church, when we were still in our, our um, sending church in Riverside, for about a solid year, all the preparations, I just kept getting hit with big waves of discouragement. And then probably for a solid year afterward, like many weekends. And at times, I would, I would feel like I had no heart to press on. One of the frequent triggers that I experienced would be, uh, it would be getting into some kind of argument at home, and I would vent my anger in the midst of that argument and that conflict, and that anger would... Uh, lead to more damage, and then also I would get off track. It would just cause more problems, and then the result, after the anger and the conflict, I'd be very disappointed in myself. I'd be really frustrated at the disruption, like, man, like a conflict, like in the middle of this busy time, like I don't have time for this. And so I'd be frustrated, and I'd just have this general sense of discouragement. And there were, there were three Sundays in a row at the very beginning of, of being out here where this, this happened, like, like clockwork on the weekends. And every morning, like, I get, gotta get ready, we gotta, and we were meeting at the park at the time, and I'm like, I don't wanna do this, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't feel like doing this. I don't wanna be here, I just wanna go sit in a car somewhere. And there, there, I had these really powerful emotions. There was a, a strong pull towards stopping my forward progress. Sadness is one of these emotions that I think we've all experienced one way or another, and in a few minutes, I'm going to show you some different terms for sadness, such as discouragement, like I just shared. Also despair, depression, sorrow, and grief. One way or another, you've probably experienced shades of that emotion 
through tough things in your life. And whenever we get sad or discouraged or depressed, it's usually triggered by something. The trigger could be loss. Maybe, maybe um, you lose something or someone. Perhaps it's either by rejection or um, so there's maybe some sort of ending or goodbye. Maybe it doesn't end in a, in a bad note, but there's just this goodbye and you feel the loss of a friendship. Uh, career ends, a friend moves away. What, what you have is not going to move on with you into the future. That's actually a good definition of, of grief. When, when you have something and you just know it's not going on with you as you move forward in life. Um, this, so we feel sadness can be triggered by this kind of loss. Another, another thing is disappointment. Maybe you had some hopes for something and were planning on something and then it didn't come through. It didn't come through the way you thought it did or things think this, was, this, was, this has way worse than I thought was going to happen. Or I thought we were over this by now. Now we're back here and it's disappointing. That can trigger sadness or discouragement. And I think discouragement is that time when you have no heart. You're like, oh, I just don't feel like pressing forward on this one. It's either I can't, I can't do this, or I'm, I'm not able to. I don't feel like I'm even able to do this. And up there it says sadness is triggered by perceived loss, disappointment, or discouragement. Because sometimes the loss is, it actually maybe, maybe we think we've lost or we're disappointed, and it may not actually be true. Maybe it's the possibility, or maybe we're mistaken about what's going on. But it doesn't matter if it's real or perceived. We can still experience these really strong emotions. And so I want to show you a video clip of a guy responding to sadness, and we'll look, we'll, then we'll look back at this, and, and we'll try to identify what was the trigger. So check this out. That's it. That's all. That's the video clip. <laughs> Anybody been there? You wave to somebody You're like, oh, that was not for me. Um, all right. So go back to that other screen. Uh, what was this trigger? There, there's different options here. It's a uh, loss, disappointment, discouragement. What do you think it triggered his sadness? Did, uh, probably disappointment. Yeah. He thought. He thought. Oh, I got a. Fr I have a friend. Oh, I don't have a friend. Oh man. So. You know, it's, fu it's funny, uh, the thing that triggered his disappointment, so it's, it's, that's what makes the clip so, so great. But 
Did you notice the way that he responded and the kind of things that he did when he was in, it seemed like a depression or, or a real sadness, a real disappointment. He, uh, he, he kind of like kicked rocks. He was just like sitting just in his car, just like at a, you know, as he on a couch with his blanket over him or just staring up at the ceiling, laying down, not sleeping, but also not doing anything. Sitting in his car, mulling over the pain. A whole lot of inactivity, a whole lot of nothing. Have you ever been there in a situation like that where you feel those things? Not maybe the wave thing, but maybe in a situation where you feel those things, that darkness. Like even the way they do the video, it's like dark. No lights are on. There's no people around. It's just, it's sad. And it's just, that's the way it feels when you're in that moment. It just feels like everything around me is this way. There is a positive function to sadness. I mean, this part of this message, I'm going to tell you about some ways to avoid the damage of it, but there is a positive function. Sadness is a signal to other people to comfort us. So if you see a sad person, like, you know, that guy's Kevin James. You're like, oh, man, I want to give that guy a hug. Like, sadness is a trigger. It's also a trigger to ourselves that maybe we need to take some time to recoup from a loss. It really is sometimes necessary to grieve a loss, and that's okay. Um, it may take some time to pull ourselves back together. So there, there's a positive function to it. Last week we talked about anger, and I actually failed to mention a positive function of anger. We talked about, you guys probably know all the damage that can come from losing anger, but um, even, even something like anger, uh, it prepares, it, one, one positive thing is it can prepare men for battle. If you go into war, you need, you need that charge to be ready for that. Anger is legitimate if the target is evil and evildoers. And the goal is protecting the innocent and stopping evil and stopping damage from being done. That's, that's a right kind of anger. So I, I wanted to mention that just because in our last message, I didn't mention that there are positive functions to the emotions that we experience. Um, most often, they get us pretty far off track, though. And the tendency for sadness is really that we disengage and we collapse into ourselves. And you see that pictured in the movie. Um, when, when we're sad or discouraged, we just lose, we lose energy, we lose the will, it's like I just, it, just, it just drained out of me, threw down to the floor. Really, the other tendency is for us to become very preoccupied with ourself and the loss. And that's all we can see. This is my own pain and what I don't have anymore. And everyone else can take a hike. I don't have time for you. I, don't, I, can't, deal, I can't deal with anything else right now because of how I feel. I don't, when we get into sadness, I can't see all the possibilities around me, all the good things that are happening. I'm only focused on the loss. And really, then this is, this is the kicker. When we get into sadness like this, we slow down on handling our responsibilities or maybe stop doing them altogether. The laundry starts piling up. There's mold growing on the dishes. The fridge, don't even open it. <laughs> Who knows what's in there? You know, we've all, we all have work to take care of. We have assignments from God to impact other people for good. We have the responsibility to bring glory to God with our lives every day. But if we get slack-handed, we just kind of like lose our grip and just get melty, we stop caring about all that. doesn't matter. I don't care about my responsibilities anymore. I'm not even thinking about that. And so we lose heart, we lose energy, and then life starts to fall apart. Life can get off track for us, and we turn inward. Sadness, it actually can undermine my whole life. If it's, if it's gone too far, it can undermine my health. It can undermine my relationships. They can just crumble. Can undermine my, my livelihood because I stop working. I don't, I don't go to work or I don't work that great or I get fired because of my, my sadness. Or we can, can walk away from God. 
I could lose everything I've been fighting for for years in my life because of getting stuck in a swirl of sadness. I can really lose my future. And so I want to show you a story from the Bible where we see this kind of potential. And um, it's from uh, 2 Samuel. If you want to turn there, you can. It's a story about David. And there's this period of time when uh, David was the king of Israel, and he had some sons, and not all of them were that great. Um, it seems like this, uh, David had a hard time disciplining his, his sons rightly, and so they, they, got, they got pretty rebellious. One in particular got very rebellious, and uh, Absalom led a nasty rebellion against his father, David. So this, this son, Absalom, was very violent, conniving, and filthy. He was, he was not a good guy. And what happens is uh, Solomon ousted his father, David, from the palace. The guy even took all of David's concubines and slept with them on top of the roof in front of, in front of Israel so everybody could see. So it finally came to a big battle, and Absalom was killed, and the rebellion was crushed. Rightfully, this is what needed to happen. And so Absalom was killed, and after hearing the news, and this is uh, 2 Samuel 18, starting in verse 32, it says, uh, the king asked the Cushite, is, this, is the young man Absalom all right? He wants to get news. And the, basically, the Cushite replies, uh, no, he's dead. And actually, he, he, says, he says with confidence, I wish that all of the enemies of my lord the king, along with all who rise up against you with evil intent, would become like that young man. Which is kind of a good thing. Like, you know, rebellious, evil people, like, let's put an end to that. That's, you know, charge in the right direction. Well, it says the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. As he walked, he cried, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. It was reported to Joab, this, is one of, this was uh, David's commander, so they, they, they bring news to Joab, it's like, listen, the king is weeping, he's mourning over Absalom. So the day's victory says, was turned into mourning for all the troops, because on that day, the troops heard the king is grieving over his son. So David had some pretty loyal guys, some warriors that were willing to risk their lives to do what was right, to bring order back to the kingdom. So it actually was, it was a victory. Like this was, the, the kingdom was getting divided and split up, and the, these guys put a stop to that. They won. But this says, so they returned to the city quietly, that day, like troops come in when they're humiliated after fleeing in battle. But the king covered his face and cried out loudly. He says it again, my son, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. So then Joab went into the house of the king and said, today you have shamed all your soldiers, those who saved your life as well as your other sons, those who saved your, your wives and your concubines by loving what you're doing. He says to David, by loving your enemies and hating those who love you. Today, you've made it clear that the commanders and soldiers mean nothing to you. In fact, today, I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, it'd be fine with you. So he says, now get up, get up, go out and encourage your soldiers. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will remain with you tonight. This will be worse than you, for you than all the trouble that has come to you from your youth to now. So the king does respond to that. So... Good job, Joab. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what he needed to hear. So this is, this is an interesting story, though, because I want to I point out this next statement that sadness, it shifts my focus to the past. 
Instead of the present moment where I can focus and move, move the mission forward, I'm, I'm focused on the past. Also, sadness leads us to focus on myself. And then also, sadness turns my focus to self-pity. Rather than praise, celebration, focus on the wins, it's self-pity. So I, I actually believe it was fine for David to grieve his son. It was a tragic life. It was a tragic death. What father would want to see their son killed? So, yes, grief, I think, was very much in order. But his sadness was in the driver's seat. And it was now further dividing and discouraging his nation. Sadness motivated David to shift his focus to the past rather than the present moment. And what he needed right now was strength and courage to bring the country back together, not weakness. Sadness also shifted his focus to himself rather than all the people around him that he was really positioned to serve. He's definitely not focused on God, focused on himself. And sadness also shifted him to self-pity and probably was starting a massive sinkhole that David was about to slip into. So how about you? Have you ever had moments of sadness or depression or discouragement and it took the driver's seat and it was guiding you? Life can pass us by as we just sit in sadness. When sad, we, we maybe, maybe if, if, you're, if you're a Christ follower and you know Jesus is your Lord, God's your Father, even if you get into sadness like this, though, you're just like, I don't want to talk to God right now. I don't even want to pray, because I know, I know what he'll say. And I know he doesn't want me here right now. So I'm not even going to talk to God at the moment. I will later. Sometimes I would just prefer to sit and feel bad about everything. There's kind of like a tasty delight to sadness. I don't know if you've ever felt that. We're like, like maybe there's a way out, but I'd rather, I don't, I just, I want to, I just, I want to just stay in, in the goo right now. Because it just feels sort of good. It's, well, it's because focusing on ourselves just generally feels good, whether it's not a good emotion or whatever. And when we get into this, there's really no alarm bells that are ringing immediately. We're just, we're there. We're sinking into it. So, you know, it's getting more of a grip on us. So I want to show you a really helpful chart for how sadness intensifies. And this is from a uh, conference that we were a part of. We went to in November, all on emotions, different ones. Uh, this was written by Harold Bullock, one of the guys who started our church network. And he talks about, you know, it starts with, let's say at this bottom right hand that we're disappointed. So if something disappointing happens. Um, and then it, it starts to intensify the way we feel. Um, Lower intensity, I just kind of get bothered, but the more we move through this scale, what I feel begins to fuel me. The more intense sadness begins to fuel me, and then it begins to control me. So disappointment happens first. Something doesn't go the way I thought. Man, that's a bummer. Oh, it's low intensity. But then maybe I get discouraged. Like, oh man, like, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't, know, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Then we get distraught. If it gets more intense, like, oh, I don't know what to do, and I can't even think clearly right now. Like, oh, like, I'm just, this is, this is not good. And then we get resigned. Nothing can be done now. There's, there's nothing. I, like, there's no, there's, what can I even do? It's just, it's piles too big. And we got to watch out. At this moment, whenever you start feeling resigned, like you're about to take your hands off, that's where the control starts for this emotion. Because we start going slack-handed, and then the emotion starts driving. Then it gets intense, more intense. I feel helpless. Like, I don't know. I have no heart. And there, there's no, I, 
I, it, I can't make it better. We get hopeless, which means there's, there's no good that can come out of this. This is bad, and nothing good is going to happen. That, this hopelessness actually often happens because we're, we're putting our hope in the wrong place. We're putting our hope in the things working out well rather than the blessed return of Jesus Christ. We're a follower of, of, the, of the Lord. Then we ultimately have a hope that's unshakable. But sometimes we lose track of that. It gets more intense, turns into misery. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm discouraged, and I am utterly miserable. More intense, it gets into despair. There is absolutely no hope for change now in this situation. There's nothing to be done. It needs to be thrown. I need to burn it. And then anguish, sorrow, and grief are other terms that when it's really intense. Uh, at, at, this, at these higher stages, a person is probably inert, not moving, just sitting in the car, laying in a bed, in a pile somewhere. And those last two terms, despair and some of that anguish and sorrow and grief, the pop term for that, popular psychology would call that depressed. The Bible doesn't use that word so much. There's these other categories that we, we understand how life works. Depression is a very popular diagnosis in our culture. And so there's, it's really helpful to understand some, some different terminology and how we get there. But this right here, this is just a normal part of the human experience. Maybe, maybe you've been on this scale, maybe the lower levels, maybe you've, you've slid into more intense levels at different points of your life. And the initial sadness that you feel may be legitimate. Like in David's case, he lost his son. It was not good, but hey, it's a legitimate sadness. We have to watch, though, once we feel that disappointment or sadness, that it does not take us for a ride and drive us and drive our life. We can get caught in a rip current that just sucks us out into sea. It's really hard to get out of. You know, suicidal thoughts can set in after you reach that hopelessness level, sort of, you know, not all the way to the top, actually, but sort of in the middle, you can actually start having suicidal thoughts. And I used to think if someone had that, the person was like in extreme danger. And then I realized it's actually pretty common for people to feel, think those things. Partly because emotions are strong, partly because there are demonic forces that want to move us that direction, and they seize the opportunity to do that. But I want to show you, as we, as we consider this, I'm going to show you one more example from the Bible of how, how, how we can maybe handle this rightly. Job was a guy in the Bible who was struck by waves of calamity, and no matter how bad your life is, I'll just tell you, read this book, and he ain't got nothing on Job. Job first, all of his oxen and donkeys were stolen, so his property, valuable property was stolen. Next, his other flocks and herds were destroyed in a disaster. So he's just stripped of all of his assets and resources. Everything's just gone. Then the gut-wrenching tragedy was when all of his sons and daughters were killed and when their ha the house collapsed. All of his kids, dead. And on top of that, after all that, his health tanked. So was everything, up until that moment, there was everything out there, but then it started affecting him personally. His body was full of disgusting diseases, and he was withering away. Sores on his body, problems inside of his body. And this was not good. If anybody had an excuse to slide into depression, it would be this guy. Job, though, he chose, it was, it was a wrestling match, but he did choose to respond in faith. And the first thing that he did, believe it or not, was to praise God, even in the loss. Actually, in the very first chapter of this story, Job 1.20, it says, Job arose and he tore his robes and shaved his head and fell on the ground 
and worshipped. In those days, when, when Job lived, men of standing wore a robe over their tunic that would be ripped immediately when they got bad news. And so that's what he did. So he was obviously grieving, but in his grief, he turned to God in worship. It's like, when, you're, when, you're, when you got news that bad, what, which way can you even turn? Like, there's, there's, no, there's no good way to turn. There's the only good way, really, there's only one good way, it's to God. That's what Job did. So his actions here really speaks loudly. And then it says, God gave, here's what, the note that I have there on your, on your notes is, God gave everything, and he has the right to take it away. This, is, this was Job's attitude. The next verse, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This statement, he's saying, I don't, God doesn't owe me anything. I brought nothing of my own into this world, and I, can't, I have no control over what I take out of it. Everything is like his hands were like this. God would put stuff in, God would take stuff out. And he just said, I'm okay with that. God, I will, I will trust you as you do that, Lord. You put stuff in and you take it out. Job was stripped of almost everything. But he knew, ultimately, he lacked nothing. All the secondary causes fade into the background. He doesn't blame the thieves who stole his stuff. He doesn't blame the guy who built his house and it collapsed. He doesn't blame God for the natural disasters. There's no blame happening here. Job acknowledges the hand of God in all of those losses, and he trusts the Lord completely. Then he refused to blame God for doing wrong. Next verse, it says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I don't know how hard that would have been for him to do that. I would guess it was, maybe he was holding it back behind his teeth like, Oh, I want to blame God for all this. But he says, I will not do that. I will not blame God. And then he did not sin with his lips. When we're sad, we can get careless with our words and just say, like, just, just fly off, like, why is, why is God doing this to me? Or just like, man, nothing good could come, come from this. We just start saying whatever is in our minds and our thoughts. Chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says, his wife said to him, this is, not a dis this is not a, an encouraging moment in the household of Job. But she says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Uh, lacking in faith slightly, his wife was, <laughs> needing, uh, uh, needing something different. But he said to her, he, may, he actually may have wanted to agree with her. But what he said was, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? Or bad things, basically. And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So Job chose a faith response. There are many times when we're tempted to wallow in our sadness, but in faith we have to accept the loss from the hand of God. And when there's nowhere to turn, the best thing I can do is turn to God in faith. And then finally, Job accepted and submitted to, to what God had done, even though it was trouble. I love this verse, Job 13, 17, or 13, 15. It says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I, I will argue my ways to his face. He actually, if, he's like, even if God himself is the one striking me down, I still have no hope but him. He is the only hope. So he can strike me down if he wants to. Job knew that even if, even if he died, he would meet he would hope in God because when he died, he would meet God face to face. 
There's another passage that's been a go-to for me towards the end of this book that I love. Job said, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. For me, this has been um, a mainstay in, in the church planting journey, because sometimes things don't go great, and sometimes I have a lot of discouragement. And it's really good for me to know, God, your plans can't be thwarted. It seems like they're going wrong right now, but if I trust you, you know, it's, you're, you're working out your plans, and I love knowing your power is there, just driving your plans forward. There's like every attempt to stop God's plan is just getting deflected. That gives me a lot of hope. So this is, I would say, a fantastic example set by Job of how to handle the waves of sadness. My experience, if you're, if you're grieving a loss, you may have waves of grief that hit at seemingly random times. You can only imagine, as the years and the days went on, Job remembering the loss of some of those kids, or just the pain of that, and just the, the, the grief would more, more than likely strike at times, and times he maybe would anticipate, sometimes not. Eventually, the grief can wane over time, but we need to work through each wave as it comes. I've got some more verses on your handout that I'm actually not going to cover. I, I, I made like a last-minute change, and I wanted to interview my wife, Erin, and I wanted you to hear from her because um, she uh, has worked through some of these things and has learned some things about um, dealing with sadness. So I, I asked her, and this was last minute, by the way, so I'm semi-putting her on the spot, but uh, come on up here, and um, I, I asked her to think about what are the top three lessons that you've learned in dealing with sadness? Um, I actually combined both his notes and that question. So, great. Um, so many of you may know, if you've known us for any amount of time, we have a bunch of kids and we love being parents. Um, but along the journey to become parents, we've actually walked through a fair amount of loss. And so when Bruce was asking me this question about sadness, I thought back to 2016, which um, I was pregnant and we got to the halfway point in our pregnancy and learned that our baby no longer had a heartbeat. And so I had walked through some sadness and some disappointment in life prior to that, but that was um, a pretty shell-shocking moment for both of us and really opened the door for um, a lot of lessons in how to deal with sadness and loss. And so um, one night that comes to mind specifically is several days after we had delivered our son, a sister had come and been a great help, and Bruce had taken her to the airport. And so I was home by myself, washing dishes, first time I'd really been by myself since we lost our son. And the reality of what we've been walking through hit. And I think in many ways that was a really helpful moment. It was a needed moment to really just sift through the reality of what we'd been feeling and what we'd experienced. Um, and so I just started weeping as I'm like washing my dishes. But there was a point in that sorrow where it really took a turn. And um, it just felt like despair and hopelessness set in and like the bottom just kind of fell out from under me. And the Holy Spirit brought to mind 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And it was like the Lord intervened in that moment and said, like, you need to lean into this sadness, but you cannot do it without hope. You need to hold on to hope. And that's really the lifeline here. And so, um, so I, I, through that process, really learned a lot about 
um, what scripture says we can do to deal with the ways of sadness. So these are on your sheet. Um, first is telling God how we feel. First Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And another verse that stood out to me as I was walking through this journey was Psalm 56, 8. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And all of us deal with sadness differently. I tend to be one that likes to just kind of pack it all up in a vault and keep charging forward. And this was a point in life where I really couldn't do that. I really needed to face it. And so there was a lot of help and healing that came from just going to God, knowing that he really cares, and just really pouring out my sorrows to him. And it really helped to know that he not only listens and is present, but he really cares. Um, that really changed things for me. The next thing is to ask him for his help. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And there were times when I experienced his peace and his presence, um, both through people helping us, but also just very tangibly, um, just a spiritual sense of God's presence. And so um, just when we hit points of sorrow, it's so helpful to reach out to God for help. Um, you know, I had two little kids that I was trying to take care of, and I had a lot of support, but there were times when I had to push through a hard day or make breakfast or change diapers when I didn't really feel like it, and God really was the, the help that I needed. Um, another thing is to speak the truth to ourselves. Psalm 51, 6 says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So whatever dialogue we have going on in our heads and how we share with other people, like our ears believe what our mouth says. And I've seen that to be true. The things that I'm dwelling on, the things that I am telling other people, that really settles in in reality. And so what I found is as I was walking through sadness and grief, I had to keep checking in with God's word and make sure that I was really holding on to the truth as I was walking through that. And, um, what was an, what's an example of what you would just decide to say out loud? Um, I think some of the things that were helpful is like, God will not rip me off. Like, this is really, really hard, um, but he's present and he's going he's gonna to bring good to our family through us, through this. Um, or, you know, you can feel like I'm not alone. Grief is hard because he and I process really differently. And there were times when I felt incredibly alone. But the truth is, God was present. And I did have people, they might not understand exactly how I feel, but there were people praying for me and walking with me. And so I, I could feel alone, but I, the truth is I wasn't alone. And so just, you know, kind of sorting through the feeling, but then landing in what was true. Um, and then refusing to give in to hopelessness. Um, Psalm 42.11 is slightly different than the verse listed, but one of the verses that was really helpful to me was, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so that was such a great template for me of I can feel so sad, and I can still put my hope in the God who is present and helping and working all things for my good. So I, I'm an analogy person. I don't know if anyone here is an analogy person, but to me, hope is kind of like the scuba diver's oxygen tank. So when we go through grief, when we go through sadness, like, you have to go through it. You have to dive to the depths. It actually, I think, 
in my experience, if you try to push past and you try to put it in that vault, it just ends up bubbling up at some point. Um, but hope is what allows us to go through the depths and not be consumed and not get lost in the darkness. And so for me, it was really helpful to have that hope to hold on to. Um, and then the last thing, which is not on your sheet, is to refuse to isolate or go dark in the midst of sadness. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And so um, I think there's often a pull to isolate when we're feeling sad or when we're walking through something hard. And um, there's probably different reasons why people do that. Um, it's definitely messier to include people. You have to communicate what you need. And you also take the risk of people saying some really dumb and unhelpful things. Um, that's just part of including people in your life. And, I, and I've experienced that. But I think what I found is to just be really grateful. You know, I've said some dumb things. I, I walked into a friend's house who lost her husband and just totally lost it. And like somehow she ended up supporting me, <laughs> and it was a it was a disaster, you know. So like I think we've all had those moments, and so actually having that moment helped me have compassion when people were in the mess with me, and it was you know they were saying stuff that wasn't necessarily helpful, but I was grateful they were there. Like the fact that they were there to say something down means they were leaning into my pain and they were showing up, and so I learned to be grateful for that. Um, and then along with those moments, though, there were life-giving things, like um, people telling me the truth. Like when I didn't have it in me to crack open my Bible, I had people texting me verses or sharing stories of how God had come through for them. Um, they shared practically by bringing meals or taking my kids for an afternoon. Um, and then also just people asking questions and being genuinely interested in the answer, like really giving me space to share and to talk um, was such a gift. And I just want to leave you with the thought, you know, something that I realized pretty quickly is even when I was walking through that really difficult time, I didn't have the, the corner on the market of suffering. Um, there were a lot of other people walking through really hard things. And 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so God has designed our community, our family of believers, for comfort to kind of pass from one person to the other. And we experience this very tangibly. The night that we found out our son Shane had died, we had friends who had lost a baby right around the same time, several years before. And they were in our living room that night, just sitting on our couch, asking us questions. And a few days later, when I went in to be induced, um, Penny, the woman, was just sitting in that chair right next to me, walking me through the process and sharing how God had, had healed, brought healing and redemption and walked her through that. And I've already seen God open up doors for us to really share comfort and hope with others. And so if you are walking through something hard, I would encourage you, like, open your life. And it doesn't have to be to the masses, but it can be to one or two or three people. Just invite people in. And if you have people that are sad and struggling, lean in and show up and be there. Um, because God really has designed this 
for us to really share and, and pass along comfort through the body. And we really experienced that, so. Thank you. <coughs> that was really helpful. That was good stuff. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you didn't catch all those verses, I'm sure she'd be great to share some of her notes with you. And um, if you look at the title on your handout, this message is called Limiting Sadness. The reason that's the title is because I'm not saying stop being sad, don't be sad. I'm saying it needs to be limited. And it's hard to do that. And usually it's because this is the sequence for most emotions we've been looking at in this series. Usually you feel something, you skip over this middle section, and then you just go to express it. So whether it's anger, I feel anger, and then boom, I just start expressing. Or sadness, I feel sad, and I'm just going to sit in it. Usually people go directly from feeling an emotion to expressing it. And that's the default for most. Um, so let the emotions run their course. <laughs> feeling sad is okay, but I need to limit it before it takes me for a ride and then undermines my life. So we, we actually decide what to do with our emotions. And so I just want to, I'm going to end by giving you a practical tool. Anywhere on the scale of intensity, if you realize sadness has begun, you can do, hey, pray, say, obey. <laughs> hey, pray, say, obey. This is a helpful tool we use in our kids' ministry, um, but it happens to be great for adults, too. The hey is, I need to, realize, I need to stop and realize, I, I need to identify, all right, I'm, I'm feeling disappointed right now. I feel sad. I feel distraught. Then I need to say, I need to have a verse ready to go. Like she mentioned, Psalm 42, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? And I, I need to say this out loud. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There are many verses that you may know or that, I, that we've used to, to, to say the right thing. Like she said, your ears believe what your mouth say. So if you say the truth out loud, that will begin to settle in your heart in a powerful way. Pray. After I've said a verse, I need to say, God, would you help me to do this? Help me to walk through this. Help me to change my self-pity that I feel to praise. Help me, Lord. I, I cannot do this on my own. Because like a, like a mud, like mud to pigs, it just feels good to wallow in it. And it just, you know, I just, the, mud, the pigs just want to just get right in there. Sometimes we feel that way. We go, no, I need to, I need to pray. I, but God, I need your help to convert this into praise. And then obey. I need to thank God. The really next right thing in a, in a moment of sadness is to thank God for that situation and for his faithfulness. Take the next step and say out loud, God will do good to me. As Aaron said, God is not going to rip me off. And I'm going to praise him. Blessed be your name. Sing a song. Share, share, the, share the good news. I have some copyright information on there. Because like I said, this is from some of the, the folks that trained us from a, a conference that we went to. So we need to ask God for help. This has been a tiny scratch on the surface of all that the Bible has to say about walking through loss, disappointment, or sadness. This, I, I was trying to think, how am I going to pack this content into like 30 minutes? And actually, it's, it's more than 30 minutes now. But, um, but I, I want to say this. If you have had some serious struggles with depression or sadness or whatever, my hope is that this message has given you some, some hope that God can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes people medicate for things like this. Medication and therapy for depression has its place. Um, it, it, like some of, the, some of the things that we've come up with nowadays, it, those can be helpful tools, but sometimes 
People take solutions from pop psychology and modern medicine and then apply it to things that are not just physical, but they're also spiritual. And some of those solutions end up becoming like band-aids on gunshot wounds. It's, it's not enough. And the deeper issues that we walk through in life, those really hard things, if, we, if all we do is, is the popular medication stuff and that's it, it can become like symptom management. And the truth is many of our problems come from deep within us and then come from our sin. We damage ourselves with our sin and then we get stuck in a pit of sadness. And that happens to be a sin too, by the way. <laughs> so the sin starts compounding, but there is real freedom. This is a big part of why Jesus came to earth and died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sin and then he broke the power of sin and all of the things that go with it. Things like sadness, like destructive sadness. It's really only as we trust Jesus as our Lord and rely on the Holy Spirit that we're able to overcome these things. And, and this is not a thing that we can do alone. We, to, to, we can, you can't just like go deep enough in yourself and find yourself and like climb out of the hole by yourself. It, it's actually, you can't do that. We can't do that by ourselves. It only comes through the freedom that God provides in Jesus. And I want to say, God cares very much for you. He cares very deeply for all of you, all of us. Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. It is powerful. If you're low, God will find you there. And he'll be with you there. God's paying attention to you. He's keeping track of your losses. He knows the pain you're walking through. Aaron mentioned the verse where it says God bottles up your tears. He's got a bottle for those things. He's not ignorant. He's not overlooking it. He's not unaware. He knows the pain that we walk through. And he's, and he's provided the church as one of the resources to help people find freedom. This church is a place where you can find help with those significant losses and pains. And, and you can discuss them and walk through them. So for any one of us, if you want to get a grip on sadness and depression, discouragement, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be really hard. At least it's been really hard for me. Really, really hard battles have been fought on discouragement. So if you're swallowed up in those things, it may be very hard to climb out of. But we can fight through with the Lord's help and with the help that he gives through each other. So there's some next steps on your, on your actually, on the screen. Can you just put them all up on the screen, actually? I'm kind of over time here. Um, there's a verse I'd recommend memorizing. You can also ask for help from a leader at church in dealing with maybe a significant sadness. Um, another next step might be to stop blaming God, declare my trust in him, and then, uh, this is a really good one, gain freedom by, coming, by becoming a follower of Jesus. If you don't know what that looks like exactly, let us know on your card. You'd like more info on following Jesus for the first time. Next Sunday, we're going to look at another emotion different than sadness. I hope you come back and join us for that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together. And uh, this is somewhat of a heavy topic and, uh, because the pains we walk through are real and difficult for, for, for many. And we praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we declare our trust in you. At least I declare my trust. I know many in this room would say, God, you're good. You will not rip us off. So we trust you. And so I pray, Lord, that you provide the help and the courage and the encouragement of, uh, that people need to walk through difficulty. And would you help us to be strong and strengthened for battle?
to memorize verses, your word, to have it deep within our heart, to be ready for those moments when we'll be attacked or difficult circumstances come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.